seeing lives transformed into the likeness of Christ so that we know God, we love others, and walk together in unity. That is the reason that the rock exists. That is why God has gathered us together as a community of faith here, so that we would know him, we would love others, and we would walk together in unity. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And making disciples is the job that Jesus left us on this planet for. Matthew 28, verse 19 to 20, gives us the great commission that Jesus left us with. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. You will notice, as I'm sure you've seen before, that Jesus didn't instruct us to make converts or churchgoers or to make people more religious, which the church is actually pretty good at. If only that was the job description. He commissioned us to go and make disciples, a word which means so much more than a convert, so much more than a believer. A disciple is a follower, an imitator, a devotee, a practitioner, an apprentice. Jesus commanded us to make disciples and to teach them everything that he had taught, but not just to pass on his wise sayings as if he was Confucius. He was calling us to equip people to live the kind of life that he had modeled, a life that is fully surrendered to God. A disciple aspires to follow in the footsteps of his master and to become like him in every way possible. The master we aspire to emulate is Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. So yeah, we've got our work cut out for us. Who thinks they're getting close? You know, getting close? Greg, what do you reckon? <laughs> yeah, a bit longer, eh, mate? This discipleship is one of my greatest passions, and it has been the greatest, the biggest part of my ministry over the last 15 years. And as we're about to launch a major discipleship initiative here at The Rock, I wanted to share a few thoughts about the kind of environment which makes true disciples of Jesus. In Matthew 5, Mark 2, Luke chapter 6, and John chapter 3, we see Jesus and hear Jesus launching a powerful teaching ministry that would take 12 woefully unlikely and unqualified men on a journey of discipleship that did not so much replace obsolete knowledge with fresh current knowledge, but rather replaced the way that they thought about everything. He replaced frameworks and paradigms and world views. Jesus did not teach in such a way as to fill his disciples' head with knowledge. He taught to transform their minds and their lives 
which is very different. This journey with Jesus became an intense tutorial on what would prove to be a very different perspective on life. Their spiritual knowledge, while it was growing all the time, was still very limited. Their understanding of what Jesus meant by the kingdom was woefully deficient. But this was be, to be expected because they had grown up with a religious mindset. A mindset that was so ingrained in their entire culture. And for those of us who have grown up in the church, we've grown up with the same thing. A religious mindset that is ingrained in our whole church culture. Well, that was certainly my experience. They listened as Jesus gave sermon after sermon, sometimes clarifying familiar points of Jewish law, but in most cases, he was turning it completely up on its head. Everything they knew about life and the law of God was being revolutionized. These were challenging concepts. The disciples were being told that God expects practical, everyday transformation in the lives of his people. There would be no more dry, powerless religion which would require you to tithe your herbs and your spices, but would allow you to completely ignore the poor. This is what faith in God had become. Peter and the other disciples were not going to understand the depth of these teachings until they first unlearned the pharisaical legalism that was so deeply entrenched in the religious culture of their day. The rabbis had taught them they could live by the letter of the law without any regard for the spirit of it. The teaching of Jesus opened the law wide so that people could see the heart of God in his commands. From Jesus they learned that adultery started in the heart, not in the bed. That murder can be emotional as well as physical, and that the contemporary attitudes towards divorce were unacceptable because they victimized women and destabilized marriage and family, the pillar of society. Jesus told them they must forgive others if they expect to be forgiven. And he pointed out the hypocrisy of devoting yourself to pursuing money while professing to worship God. He admonished them about their judgmental tendencies. He exposed their blatant hypocrisies. And he warned them of their futile professions of empty faith that were not substantiated by authentic lives of faithful obedience. Jesus was ripping down one misconception after another so that his disciples would come to see what the kingdom of God was really about. And he postscripted this revolutionary teaching by clarifying that just listening to the word, listening to what he said was not enough. We actually had to do it and live by it. Anything less was hollow religion and no foundation for faith and a truly transformed life. 
Jesus was unveiling a completely different worldview. A worldview that he preached from the same scriptures that the religious leaders taught from. But when he taught, he taught with true insight and authority and power. He was presenting a spiritual experience that influenced every dimension of life. Not just what happened at synagogue or on the Sabbath. Jesus was proclaiming, but they were not yet hearing that the kingdom he had come to establish was not a political realm. It was a spiritual one. It was all about the rule of God in the hearts of men and women. It would be rooted in their hearts by a belief in God's inexhaustible and unmerited love for sinners. A truth that is given to them by the Holy Spirit. A profound belief which would produce in them a love for this God of grace, which would lead to trusting obedience and faith and an authentic love for others. But the disciples still had a long way to go to fully understand what this gospel was. Now this was for them all very weighty stuff. And it is for us as well. We come to God with our own worldview, our own paradigm of how it is. And we interpret his scriptures. We interpret and analyze spiritual experiences through the lens of our own worldview, our own paradigm of who God is and how he operates. And we shape him in our own likeness rather than recognizing the truth is the other way around. To receive God's paradigm, God's worldview, which is actually the only true view of how things are, we need a couple of things. We need a humble heart and a teachable spirit. We need a humble heart and a teachable spirit. A humble heart recognizes that you don't have everything worked out. You are not the font of all knowledge. It's something that I tell myself every day when I get up. You do not know it all. You are not the font of all knowledge. Shut up and listen. A humble heart reminds you that God might still have a thing or two to teach you. Maybe maybe three, maybe two or three things. A humble heart recognizes that maybe, maybe, you've got a few things wrong. Well, probably not you, Mike, but probably some of these guys. Yep. A teachable spirit is soft and malleable. Everybody say malleable. It's a good word. See if you can use it in a sentence this week. Malleable. Open to God, shaping it and molding it into his design. A teachable spirit is hungry for God's word and thirsty for new revelation. The disciples, to their credit, were open to the revelation Jesus was bringing. And though they didn't always understand it, they followed anyway. They were drawn to this this man who they knew was more than a man. And even though they didn't understand, they kept following. 
because they were hungry for what he was talking about. They were hungry for more. How teachable are we? How open are we to receiving something new or to challenging doctrines that we've held on to from the past? A hard heart and a closed mind could well be holding us back from receiving the new wine that God has for us. After commanding his, after commanding us to make disciples and to instruct them thoroughly in his word, Jesus assures us in Matthew 28 that he will always be with us. To the very end of the age, he will be with us. What do you think he meant by that? I'll tell you what it didn't mean. It didn't mean that he would roam the earth in some physical form forever and never leave. Because what happens next, after saying, I promise I will never leave you, is, yeah, he leaves them. He ascends to heaven in a cloud. Kind of the opposite of what he just said. So obviously that's not what he meant. I could imagine the disciples being a bit confused. What he meant was, I will be with you in spirit. Who's, who said that to someone before? I'll be with you in spirit. Someone's going to do something difficult, maybe... Someone's going to a funeral or something else, and you know, I'll be with you in spirit. It's a, it's a common phrase. Now, what we don't mean is that uh, the part of my created being that is called the spirit, which is the eternal part, will leave my body and will be transported to wherever it is that you are. So I will be here physically, and my soul will be here, but the spirit bit will be with you. That's just silly, isn't it? That's not what we mean. What we mean is that, oh, I'll be thinking of you. We might not actually think of them, but it's one of the things you say, you know, yeah, I'll I'll with you in spirit. Not what Jesus was saying. When uh, When he said, I'll be with you always, what he meant was, I'll be with you in spirit. And what he meant by that was, I'll be with you in spirit. My spirit will be with you. And my spirit will be with you forever. Jesus meant his spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, would be given to us, would live with us, would live in us, and would never leave us. He would be with us always till the very end of the age. And boy, do we need his spirit. We need his spirit because to receive truth, we need the spirit of truth. Discipleship, the transformation of a person into a total follower of Jesus, is a process that can only happen in engagement with the Holy Spirit. Remember that Jesus preached from the same scriptures that the Pharisees did. But somehow the truth he found in them was profoundly different from the shallow understanding that the Pharisees had, despite the fact 
that they had a thorough formal education which Jesus did not have. So they were schooled up, but they still didn't get it. The difference was Jesus had the Holy Spirit. Turns out the Holy Spirit trumps a Bible college degree every time. When we try to read God's word, hear God's word, understand his message, without the illumination of the Holy Spirit, we fail to see the kingdom he is trying to show us. We miss the point altogether. Just as his first disciples did, Time and time again. Until Jesus left them with this parting gift. In Luke 24 verse 45. It says that he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And in Acts chapter 1 verses 1 to 2. Luke Luke opens with this. In my former book Theophilus I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. The disciples had Jesus' teachings. They had access to the scriptures, but they needed the Holy Spirit to illuminate them, to make sense of them, to entrench them in their hearts, and to activate them into a living reality. And that is something that I've seen to be crucial. That someone can even come to an understanding by the spirit of truth, but that truth can and does sit dormant in people. It doesn't change their lives. They don't act on it and live it out. And so it's this treasure inside that they never spend. The Holy Spirit can activate that as we partner with him. Jesus himself said in John 14, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. See, the Holy Spirit was already with them, because the Holy Spirit was all over Christ. They were in his presence all the time. But the promise he gave them was not only will the Holy Spirit be with you as he's with me, this same Spirit will be in you and each one of you. There are deeper truths in God's word that we are missing because we are not looking with our spiritual eyes open. As I shared this morning, Bible study is not an academic exercise. Though we so often approach it like it is. Bible study is not a religious ritual that we must do every day for at least half an hour or we're a bad Christian. It is an engagement with God. He has poured out his heart on paper. And when we pick it up 
and engage with it as that, we, we receive the heart of God. We perceive his mind and his will, but not just by working through a, a daily devotional. It's got to be more than that. King David prayed in Psalm 119, verse 18, Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. It's, a, it's an interesting one. He's not talking about some lovely readings in the Psalms, which he's writing now. He's talking about the law. He's talking about Leviticus. He's talking about Deuteronomy. He's reading through the law and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And he's praying for God just to bring out the wonder and the beauty of them. In fact, read Psalm 119. Read how David goes on about how wonderful God's law is. You better believe something very wonderful and spiritual is happening in him if he's reading Leviticus and Deuteronomy and it is comforting his soul. That's the kind of stuff he's talking about. There is counselors. They comfort him. They, they are beautiful. They're like honey on the lips. I must be reading them wrong. Turns out I am. Turns out I'm reading God's word wrong. I'm reading it like a textbook. I'm reading it like a daily devotional rather than reading it as the, the prophetic heart of God poured out on paper. His spirit activates it and suddenly the law of Leviticus and Deuteronomy can change my life. And not by making me more religious, but bringing me closer to the holy heart of God. Okay, David had something special. David, even way back in the Old Testament, had the Holy Spirit. Bible says he did. The Holy Spirit came on him in power. Not everyone had this. Not everyone did, but David did. And that's the game changer. Turns out we have access to the same Spirit. The Spirit is in us. We've got to let him speak. We've got to let him open our eyes. With our minds closed to new revelation, shut down to something that you haven't heard or understood before, or with your spirit asleep, how can we see? How can we grow? If we want to grow, we have to be open to God bringing us more, even different than what we currently have. I need there to be more than what I currently have. I need there to be mysteries which I haven't comprehended yet. I need God to be bigger than the one I currently have. If I can comprehend him, it kind of makes me bigger than him. So mysteries of God, they don't scare me. Well, make me fearful in the, the right way. But they encourage me that God is bigger than me, bigger than the world, bigger than my problems. And I don't ever want to fathom them all. Fortunately, he tells me I can't. But it doesn't mean we don't, it doesn't mean we stop trying. Because it's in that trying to know him more that we come closer to him.
the disciples of the early church had the Holy Spirit. They had the Holy Spirit and power. Man, I read these stories. Walking down the road and a beggar asks for money. The disciples are like, eh, silver and gold I have not. But what I give you, I give you in the name of Jesus. Boom. People are healed. Limbs grow. Crazy stuff. Man, I want to pull that out on Courtney Place. Oh, need to find some crippled dudes and some more faith. But yeah, that's, that's the, the power they moved in. And that's the power of the same Holy Spirit that is in me. So the disciples in the early church had the Holy Spirit. And they had each other. From the start of his public ministry, Jesus created a community of discipleship. He surrounded himself with followers, not just the 12 apostles, though the apostles were the closest to him, but many others as well. They were in groups. He taught them in groups, sometimes large crowds, sometimes smaller groups. But discipleship, was a team sport. That's something you do together. I shared this morning that after God called me to leave my staff position at another church, uh, I felt the, the call to leave very strongly, but I had no sense of where God wanted me to go to. But that, you know, presented opportunities. Maybe God didn't want me to work in a church again. Please, 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 please. Maybe I could go and work in the marketplace like normal people, and earn a normal salary. Yes, that would be good. Uh, what would I do for, for a church community? Maybe I could set up my own house church. That would be good. I'd be Pastor Clay and uh, Chairman of the Elders. I'd be, um, I'd be the treasurer. I'd be responsible for the stewardship of the finances, which is whatever I put in the offering that week. And uh, I could determine how we spent it. I'd determine um, what day we met, what programs we would run. Man, being a church leader sounds awesome. Yeah, it's a cool job, Greg. Um, and the church that I would create in my own image, the church I would create in uh, according to my own desires, would be awesome for me uh, in how convenient it is but would probably do nothing at all to draw me closer to Christ. So thankfully, uh, God uh, didn't let me get anywhere near that and made it very clear that he actually wanted me to do something else. He wanted me to stay working for the church and that to be this one, which is very different to the church that I came from. I don't know why you employed me to come here. Um, but God had a plan for me, and praise him for that. Leslie and I have been challenged and grown in ways that I cannot imagine would ever have happened, certainly in my own house church that I set up, um, <laughs> with my family, which at the time was Leslie. <laughs> it would have been just the two of us, I don't know. Uh, but no, he pulled us here. And it was here that I was exposed to things that I wouldn't have been exposed many places, possibly nowhere else at the time. 
I was exposed to, to teaching. I was exposed to spiritual gifts. I was exposed to experiences that I had never experienced before. And this stuff challenged me. God rocked me. God pulled stuff down in my mind. He pulled down walls that I had set up to protect myself from the truth that I couldn't see. And through this process and bringing alongside me people who had love for me and had grace for me and had remarkable patience for me, God has been doing uh, an amazing work in me. And I know that I have a long way to go, but I'm thankful that I am somewhere where people would take that interest in me and would invest in me the way they have. And that doesn't happen when we're not in community. And I know that that testimony is not unique, but that lots of people have experienced that. It is here that my understanding of God and his kingdom and my place in it has been transformed. And all of this was black and white in the scriptures. I just didn't have the spiritual sight to see it. But that's okay because I was surrounded by people who did have the spiritual sight to see it. And what it took from me was a difficult step. And the step was choosing to humble myself to receive. It was the step of allowing someone else to speak into my life. It was the step of even imagining that maybe someone else knew something that I didn't regardless of what their theological education was. And I found the more that I humbled myself, the more God could do the work that he does in his church. And that shaped me and shaped me into the church. What was interesting was that I have been in the church my entire life. But I was kind of not in it the whole time. It's like I was a visitor, kind of a spectator, kind of checking things out the whole time. I learnt the songs, I played the songs, I led life groups, I got to speak. But it was like I was from the outside looking in, judging and comparing everything to what I thought was true. I was never really a part of it. I didn't allow God to bind me in the way that he wants to. So when First Corinthians 12 talks about us all being members of this body, all being different parts, you know, different limbs, it was kind of like I was a part of the body that had been cut off and was like, I don't know, maybe stuck on with sticky tape. I wasn't receiving the life blood, the flow, the spirit that others were receiving because I was in the room, but my heart wasn't with the people. Uh, that experience builds, it builds a religious spirit. And I can understand why people walk away from the church and can throw it away because the experience they've had is not a true experience of life and love because they have not really been grafted in. We have this, you know, this understanding, you know, maybe we're grafted into Jesus. And we think of that as, you know, a justification, a salvation thing. Grafted into Jesus means we're saved from from hell 
But we forget that Jesus is the head and the church is his body. Being grafted into him isn't just a relationship with Jesus. It's a relationship with his body, with his church. We need each other. And that's been God's plan all along. So it's not just enough to turn up at a church service. We need to engage in real relationships. In challenging relationships. We need to contend for truth. We need to wrestle with things together. And that isn't always a comfortable experience. The um, anecdote or the um, illustration I used this morning was of of how a knife or a sword is sharpened. We sharpen these things on an abrasive stone and it grinds away and wears away the rough edges to produce a keen edge. It's not a pleasant experience. It's rough. Purifying things is a violent process. Precious metals are purified in intense heat. If we want to be like him, if we want to be transformed into his likeness, uh, we need to allow him to do the work that he wants to do. And sometimes that's not always comfortable. And I know a lot of people's experience uh, here at The Rock over the last couple of years, a lot of people have testimony of how it wasn't comfortable. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. That means that God is, is doing a work. And it's painful and hard because it's the flesh in us is dying off. And we're surrendering to him and letting the spirit come alive in us. How we respond to that work is on us. If it gets uncomfortable, we can walk out the door and we can leave and we can talk about how bad things are there. Or we can stay exactly where we need to be and let God finish that work and produce something very special in us. We need to approach each other humbly so that we can learn from each other, receive ministry, support, and revelation from each other. Otherwise, we limit how God can speak and minister to us and even miss what he has for us altogether. We need to put ourselves in environments where we can be edified by all the gifts of the Spirit and so receive all the revelation instruction and impartation that God has for us. And this is why we are constantly urging you to keep gathering with us on Sundays, gathering with us during the week in our life groups, and why we have been investing so much time, energy and resource into an awesome new opportunity to walk together into a deeper knowledge and experience of God and His power. And that opportunity is... Ignite. Ignite is not a course. And if I call it a course, you're allowed to flick my ears. Ignite is an environment built around the presence of God. It is a service which we will together contend for truth. 
it is a service. Like from two weeks' time when you come here on a Friday, I'm on a Sunday night, you'll be coming to an Ignite service. But it'll be different to the services that you're used to. I think it's probably good to mix things up. The problem in the church, when you keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, is it becomes a religious ritual and it loses its power. So we're not changing for change's sake. We're changing things up so that we can find new life in what has been in Scripture the whole time. From time to time, we'll, we'll talk about a new thing or a new wine or there's newness. But the truth is, it's nothing new. We're not preaching anything that the Bible hasn't had in there for thousands of years. We just somehow miss it for a while. And a new generation comes, and so we bring that truth back. Ignite is a place where we'll see the power of all the spiritual gifts that God has given us, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Also, Ephesians chapter 4 tells us. Ignite is a creative approach to communal discipleship that we will be applying to our Sunday evening services over the next few months. We will explore together who God is and what it means to know him and walk in his ways. We will explore the power and intimacy of prayer in the scriptures, the purpose and function of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the beauty of a servant heart, and the simple message of love and hope that alone can save the lost. The delivery of these services will engage all the senses. Smell, taste, which is one of my favorite senses. Feeling, hearing. What's the other one? Sight. We'll see stuff too. It will move us to wrestle with some really challenging questions about God, about his kingdom, about his church, and about ourselves. We will begin with a night of ministry and impartation as we seek a specific anointing of the Holy Spirit to prepare our hearts and minds for the work God wants to do in us. We'll be seeking the same impartation that the first disciples received as Jesus opened their eyes and their minds to understand his word. We will worship, we will wait on him, we will get some context on, on what uh, discipleship really means and, and some equipping on getting this journey started. Our elders will be there to lay on hands and pray for us and impart anointing as God has laid it upon them. And we'll be seeking God to ignite the spark of faith that he has implanted within us and stoke it into a roaring fire that I hope will engulf and burn up in me everything that is not of him. In fact, that is the environment that we'll be looking to create every week, an engagement with God's Spirit, so that through him we can understand the full meaning in his word and allow it to transform our minds and our lives. It's part of the reason why we sing songs every Sunday, so that it would be in an environment of connection with his Spirit that would receive the word.
that's what we're looking for. So this is not a course. It's not like any course we've done. It'll be incredibly interactive and it'll be communal. And we'll be doing it together. When I come on Sunday the 25th, I come knowing that I need you. I need the revelation that God has placed in you. I need the spiritual gifts that are on you to become who God has called me to be and for our church to become who God has called us to be. We need each other. So on Sunday, I'm coming to learn. I'm coming to learn with you and I'm coming to learn from you. Because I believe the same spirit who teaches through me teaches through you and loves through you, heals through you, comforts through you. And so I need you. And so I'm hoping that that will come from you as we meet together. So, um, yeah, when you come on the 25th, might look a bit different, but I think it's going to be really powerful and awesome. Uh, we're going to be pulling some some discipleship groups together uh, around Ignite, and uh, it would really help us if you could put your name down for that, just so that we can take care of that, and also just for catering purposes. We'll be having a curry from Tulsi on um, on on the first one. So if you want some of that. You better put your name down. Um, I've put my name down twice. Yeah, just in case. There's a mistake. But um, I'm looking forward to that. The uh, the disciples in Acts chapter 2, they broke bread together daily in each other's homes. Something very special about us, about us enjoying real fellowship and, and eating together and, and uh, connecting um, uh, our spirits and our stomachs. So uh, it is something definitely to look forward to. If you have any questions about this, I'll just come and just come and talk to me, or or flick us an email at ignite at the rock um, and we can help you understand, you know, what we're doing or how the logistics work out. But um, yeah, be excited for this. This is going to be really cool. And um, and if if you've done something in the past that we've called ignite, this will be real different. Okay, so uh, yeah, there's a whole lot of new content we'll be going through together, but we'll be going through it in a completely different way. Uh, so yeah, it's not a case of off oh, ignite. And I did that; it was all right. This will be this will be very different. So um yeah.